0: good evening my name is Maui Jen and I'm an alcoholic Maui Jen. <laughs> Maui Jen that is me Maui Jen um I want to thank Anna for asking me to come out and I was like who is this 818 and they're like speaking I'm like Hoo! but anyways um I'm just so and then she said Laguna Niguel I was like and then she said uh, Sunday. Oh, am I in the wrong spot? How about here? Can you hear me it's now? Cool I'm right very tall. How about there?
1: How about there? There, there we go.
0: There? Oh, okay. yeah. So um, <clears throat> she asked me on a Sunday night. And I'm like, yeah, I really suck at keeping my calendar. I think my brain will be able to maintain dates and times. And it's proven to me time and time again that it doesn't work well. But, you know, I... I like insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, sure. Now, every year I attend this really large women's conference called Miracle Women. And it's normally in April, but this time they made it because of COVID and all that. So they, my friend was like, hey, you know, it's MOW next week. And I'm like, what? oh, shit!" So too many. so anyway, it was this weekend and which usually means that we never go to sleep because we're running around and being girls (laughs) and talking (laughs) you know crying you know and um so in the tradition of mow we always have a meeting after the meeting after the meeting and all you know girls come up people come up to the room and we have a meeting and you're not supposed to leave until the last person shares so that was like 2 30 in the morning, and uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, it's Sunday. <laughs> oh, but you know, my mom used to always say, um, you gotta pay to play, you gotta pay to play. It went off. <laughs> <laughs> just, just her microphone, I didn't touch it. There we go. Thank you. So, my mom, you know, she always said, Yeah, And I would go to any lengths to drink and use party favors. So I need to go to any lengths to carry the message, right? Um, So I'm going to share with you in a general way what my life was like, what happened, and what my life is like today. Because where I drank, how I drank, how I partake with party favors, what happened after, what happened during, may differ from yours, may differ from your story. But what will be the same is the feelings produced. The feelings of that incomprehensible demoralization. The feelings of, why did I do that one more time? The feeling of, who is this next to me? And how did I end up here? I was only supposed to go out for three drinks. What happened? Why am I swimming in the middle of a cane field on a Saturday afternoon? (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's a story in itself so um but that is what we identify with right that is what we identify with and so i am a product of um a beatnik dad and a beatnik mom uh, interracial couple in the 60s so uh, i know i am not <laughs> and um, they met and uh, you know, produced me at a time that was tumultuous to have a biracial child. And uh, what I recently found out is that my mother decided, um, my uncle moved to Hawaii and he said, hey, this is going to be a good place for you to raise Jenny where she won't face much prejudice. So moved to Hawaii. So I was seven years old and we moved to Hawaii. All I know is we were moving to Hawaii and I didn't even know what that was, right? And seven, like, oh. And we got off the plane and I saw rainbows and clouds and I was like, ah, right as a kid. And um, so, but I will tell you though, that I suffered from even before I had my first drink of I'm different. Right, because, and I share that because here's two people that hey, look. Let's make this Jenny. And I don't look like my mother. I didn't grow up with my father. And I don't look like my cousins. And I don't look like my grandma. And I don't look like anything. And nobody talks about anything about who I am as a person. That subject is dead, done, done. They ain't talking about it. And I just felt like I did not fit in, even before I knew what that felt like. Right? Like, oh, she don't fit in. I just always felt like I didn't fit in in the skin that I'm in. So here we go. We're in Hawaii. And what people said, oh, look. So I realized I became a chameleon, right? Whatever you like that makes my life a little easier, I'm going to be. So they would say, oh, you Hawaiian Chinese. I like, you. Right, mm-hmm. and my cousins moved a year later and they were blonde hair, blue eyes, and they took gas because at that time, if you were blonde hair, blue eyes, you took gas in Hawaii, right? So they would say, That's your cousin? I'd say, Uh uh-uh. uh, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> they was getting jacked for their lunch money, right? I wanted my lunch money, it's important to me, and so they would say, Oh, you Hawaiian Chinese, mm. mm-hmm. yep, 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 I am, you know. Um, that was my first an introduction to me just saying what I had to say just to get by and to get over, right? Those are really handy skills to have when you're drinking. Those are really handy skills to have when you're taking on a career path of drinking and, and drugs. It's a great one. I can commit in because I want what I want when I want it when I need it. So um, growing up in Hawaii was great, but it made, I felt, remember, I already felt like I didn't fit in. Now I really feel like I didn't fit in because as I'm growing up, I'm five, seven. I was five, seven from like seventh grade and everybody else is like this and everybody else is tiny. My nickname was Big Jen. Now it's Maui Jen, but it was <laughs> Big Jen. And uh, there was a little Jen and I was very jealous of little Jen. Why can't I be little Jen? But little Jen was little. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I immediately I didn't like any of that, right? And I'm in high school, and I want to be liked. I want to be liked by the boys. I want to go on dates, but I was bigger. They didn't know what to do with all that, right? They were like, "Wow, ah, it's too much." I, you know, it was just this, they liked me. I was friendly, right? But they were like, "Uh, uh-uh, we're not dating that. No, it's out of the norm." So um, it was my girlfriend and I one night. Now every every night. Every time there was a school dance, I would practice at home first because I wanted to be good. And then we'd go to the dance, and I'd go to, and and then I would find the wall, kind of like that cement wall in the back there, and I would stand against it. I'd be like, hey, hey. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to dance because I was practicing. I'm really good this time. (laughs) Right? And then they would say, oh, this is the last song. And then the lights would come on. I was like, Uh, not this time, maybe next time. Right. And I would leave and I would always feel like something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I'm not having the same experience as everybody else. Right. My perception was I am not having the same experience. But what that perception does is it feeds the belief that I am not good enough, that something is wrong with me and that I am not the same as everybody else. See, something's really wrong with me. So this one night my girlfriend said, hey, let's go to the liquor store and get some, um, some wine. And I said, oh, okay, right. So we stood in front of the liquor store. That was very easy to do that. Hey, could you buy me some wine? It was Boone Farm, Boone's Farm Tickle Pink. And um, <laughs> so I didn't even know, my parents drank, right? But they were very L70, but they drank, the and <laughs> So we drank this and I took the sip of that wine. And I kid you not, it went here, it pinched my shoulders, Mm -hmm. It went to my tummy, and all of a sudden, I was 5'1 and 105 pounds, (laughs) and I sashayed into that dance, because I'm ready, (laughs) (laughs) found my favorite spot on the wall, which was in the back, stood there, hey, how you doing, how you doing, (laughs) great, wait, hey, hey, they said it's the last song, lights came on. Same situation, but this time, I didn't feel bad. This time, I said, "Eh, maybe next time. This time, I didn't take on the armor of what's wrong with me. This time I was floating on a cloud and thus a belief system was born and that belief system said, if you do this, you won't feel this. That one moment in time was a trajectory of my career with drinking and drugs. That one moment. See, I already had a lot of stuff going on that I needed to mask, and that just helped. So at 16, I'm drinking, and I'm drinking very alcoholically. I drank for blackouts. I I just like drinking. I like the effect produced, right? We just drank and drank it in Hawaii. Then, you know, you had the weed on there and all the rest of the good stuff, right? And we were just the party crowd. The party. I like the party, hip, slick, fast, cool crowd. I like being a part of that, and um, I became a hula dancer, and that was pretty cool because I could dance at the luau and then drink after, and it was fine. I already I learned don't drink and smoke prior to (laughs) dancing because you don't remember stuff right remember my brain is already fried so yeah I'm like yeah I think I'll wait and then once the show's over then I'll go to bartenders and get some drinks right and that's kind of how my life was and it was working and drinking was working you remember when it was working you were like right at the club, Uh, 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 right and everything's working and even the times that I locked my cousin in the trunk of the car at my other cousin's wedding hey it was still working right they were like where's Susie I'm like she's in the trunk of the car uh, right my parents um didn't really like that idea very much and the next day I came to with my mom Jenny are you all right and I was like Jenny, are you all right? And I thought, hmm, that's kind of a way to wake me up to say, am I all right, which would indicate that I must have done something stupid <laughs> for them to think, am I okay? <coughs> right, I said, I did have some purple microdots dots oh. mixed with that, I don't know, right? And so I woke up and my hand was numb. I was like, hmm, why is it numb? And I'm trying to get myself together mentally to open the door for my mother. Right, she had that concerned look on her face at the hotel on the Big Island, and she's like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "Yes, I'm fine." I'm fine. Okay. Apparently, I had invited everybody to the hotel, and I wasn't there. But everybody came to the hotel. <laughs> I didn't show up to that party. My parents weren't there. I don't think they like that very much. But you know, my parents taught me they don't talk about anything, so that was never discussed ever again. Never, ever, 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 ever again. I think it would make a fun story. Once I got sober, like, I remember the time you invited everybody to the hotel. No, they never talked about it. We don't talk about uncomfortable subjects. So what I learned is when stuff is bad, you smile. When it's really bad, you smile even harder. You don't get angry. You don't get mad. You don't get hurt. You smile, you suck it up, and you walk through it. That's what my parents thought. A wonderful message. Great message, right? Makes me happy, joyous, and free, but it does not allow me to speak my truth. It doesn't allow me to identify what is going on with me because everything is supposed to be happy. It's all happy, even when it's not happy. So, um, you know, uh, I just drink very alcoholically. Like, I started off with, like, um, I don't like wine that well. Beer made me bloated and... Um, <laughs> And I thought that an alcoholic was a lush person at the bar, so or a person holding the paper bag, right? So that was far from my mind. And my uncle uh, was an alcoholic, but he would um, he worked for Budweiser and he would drive the Budweiser truck delivering beer and then drink a lot of it. End up at the bar and then um, sometimes he would that's, he would have us kids in the car and he would uh, drink in the bar. We'd be in the car, he'd come out and he can't drive. So my cousin Susie would drive and my cousin Dale, who was littler, he would be at the bottom hitting the gas and the, and the brakes like that, right? And we're driving down the street and my uncle's passed out in the backseat. I'm with him, you know? And uh, he was an alcoholic, I knew that, but that was, I, was, I never drank like that, you know? <laughs> And then he went to AA. I remember seeing the big book in the backseat of his car. And his life kind of changed and he became kind of nicer. But I didn't really, you know, look to it. So I believe that belief systems are born throughout our lives. They're born because that helps me to want to drink and use or it helps me to cope. So my mom met a guy and um, they were going to get married. And I didn't really like him. We didn't hit it off at all. Right. And I think the first time I met him, he said, you know what, you what are you still doing up? I'm like, I babysit myself now. Right. And uh, so I didn't like that. I was like, he's telling me to go to bed. Um, My mom said, I'm going to get married to him. And I remember the look of horror on my face. And I looked at my auntie and I looked at my mother and I ran and I cried. And I and she's like, but your mom needs to be happy. Your mom needs to be happy. And all I could think of is now I'm really alone. Now it is just me. She's got him, I've got nobody, it's just me. And a belief system was born that said, I am all alone. Coupled with the belief system is I'm different. I'm not liked, I'm not loved. And all of this settles in right here. So the no wonder when I drink, at 16 and I started to drink, I was trying to drown all that stuff out, right? And trying to function with life. So um, probably about, um, I ended up having a kid at like 21 and uh, I was still trying to function with life (laughs) and life was good. But what was happening at some point later than that, I got into, can you say the other words here? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I'm getting yelled at, but uh, I was introduced to cocaine, and yeah, 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 not that one. I was introduced to cocaine, and uh, you know what? And I and I'll tell you. I don't know if you coke, meth, whatever your deal is, right? But the first time I had that bad boy. I will tell you this. It was him. Him was cute. Him was from Oahu and everything came from LA to Oahu, from Oahu to Maui. And then it trickled down from there, right? So he was on Maui. Met him at a club. I was like, oh, he's so cute, right? He could surf. He could play the guitar. Um, He likes me. And uh, he said, he was talking about this substance, right? And I'm like, they were talking about coke and smoking it. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, it's so good. And their mouth started fropping and their eyes were lit up. You know him and his friend like oh you should never do this though but they're lying, they're lying. They're lying. <laughs> you can't tell me oh, do this. But that's, oh no, no. i don't know i what is that i said does, does it involve pills he said no i didn't like pills i was a bougie um addict right he said i didn't pills no did it involve needles and like needles i felt that was beneath me and he said no it's smoking i like smoking right so <laughs> He comes to my house and I bring my girlfriend, and him and his friend come and they act like mad scientists. All this fire flames and stuff going on. And I'm like, oh, look at the show, look at the show. Oh wow, oh, this is gonna be exciting. No pills, no pills, right? No needles. He's like, nope. I'm like, okay. And I watch intently, right? And the guy uh, takes a hit and makes me know he's on the carpet. If you don't know what that is, he's looking for white substances that he thinks may have dropped. In case you don't know, that's what that means, right? Your carpet crawling, whoosh, whoosh. And I said, What are you doing? He said, I dropped one. I'm like, No, no, I didn't see one drop. I haven't had anything yet, right? And I'm like, Now, you think that would have been a warning? Like, you think that might have been a warning, but I don't know. They thought it. I just watched the show. do it now. I just watched the show. So his friend did it and he started just looking down. And I was like, all right, Jim, whatever you do, when you take this, do not look down. Do not look down. down." Right? And I took it, I took my head and I was like, oh my God. I have found my love. I have Now, I wanted to look down, but I was like, don't. And my girlfriend, Wendy, went out, threw up, and she came back, she's like, oh, that was so good. I said, I know, right, right? And so, um, yeah, that, eventually I looked down and I ended up smoking a lot of rice. (laughs) Because the baby would eat rice. Rice would fall on the floor. It's white. You do the, you know. (laughs) So I like to say I'm a recovering rice head. Um, But what that did was totally hit that spot, that hole in here. And it made me feel like euphoric and I don't ever wanna not do this again. The problem with that is it costs money. Right to do that a little bit more than my welfare butt had. And um, there were no hoes in, well, maybe there were holes, but there were no prostitutes in Maui. So that wasn't, you couldn't like walk. I mean, one time in my disease, I actually looked in the newspaper and looked at titty bar dancers, but I would have to get to Oahu, which I didn't know how to do that, right? I was like, hmm, maybe that would be a good career. Right? <laughs> so, but that was at my low points. So I would look at the newspaper and go, hmm, Titty bar dancer, I think I could do it. I think I could do it, I like to dance, yeah. Never happened, because I would have to get on a plane and get off my own. So, <laughs> needless to say that my life went from here down. It slid down. I couldn't pay my bills, didn't want to pay my bills. The boyfriend, I don't know if you ever got high with somebody, but at first you guys are really nice and kind and sharing. And then after the first one, that's done. Right, who's got the bigger one? That's mine. I want it. Did you have it? No. So I thought we're going to eliminate the middleman here and just learn how to be a um, mad scientist myself. Right. And the guy that I was so in love with that could play the guitar and uh, surf um, began to dabble in a whole bunch of other stuff and he lost all of those abilities. He could know, he was like hearing voices. So I'm a good girlfriend, right? I'm a really good girlfriend. And I said, you know, you might need to go to one of the meeting things. We need to <laughs> take you to a meeting. Maybe somebody hears voices there. Because <laughs> I the drugs, right? I mean, dude was like tearing apart uh, tissue. I'm like, there's nothing in there. There is nothing in there, right? And uh, so I take him to a meeting and it was an AA meeting. It was in Kihei. And we sat around in a circle. Now, by now, let me just tell you that my life is pretty damn crappy. I did have a job. And thank God we lived in Hawaii. I didn't have to have shoes for my kid. You could be barefoot as a kid. It wasn't a big deal, right? <laughs> Can't t-shirt shots. It was pretty easy. And then his entertainment was the beach every weekend while I recuperated at the beach with him, right? Pretty easy job. So I take the guy down there and, but my life was crumbling and that hole was getting bigger no matter what I kept stuffing in it. And I took him down there and we sat around the room. Like, oh, oh, and we keep coming back. And then they went around and introduced themselves. And I said, oh, don't come to me. Don't come to me. I don't think I'm ready to stop anything that I'm doing. And he introduced himself. And I just nodded with him. And uh, they, and the meeting ended. And people were telling their stories. And I'm like, oh, you poor things. Oh, oh, never mind what was going on in my own crazy life, right? But I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> right I was like don't come to me don't come to me and the meeting ended and he said nobody here talked about hearing voices I said I don't know maybe he didn't come this week gotta come back because they said keep coming back but I, you know, <laughs> I and then I thought second thought I said you know what he's really crazy because I don't he didn't he was just like um, drug induced schizophrenia so I said you probably need to go back home to your parents because I can't handle you and so he left, but by him leaving, which was a good thing for me and a, probably a really good thing for my kid, was that one more time I felt rejected, unloved, and abandoned. And what do I do when I feel rejected, unloved, and abandoned, and like a failure that I can't get anything right? I drink and use, and I drink and use even more because I want to feel ad- all of that stuff. And then it becomes this vicious cycle. And I would get up and I would go to work, and I had a place to live, and my parents were looking at me crazy, like, what is wrong with her? Right, and I was on this cycle and it was no longer much fun anymore, but now I had to have it. I had to have a drink. I had to have some other substance with it. And if I swore off the other substance, guess what I always had? I always had a drink. I always had a drink. So I had that drink and that would, it would just be this vicious, vicious cycle. So one day I was tired and this time I'm getting scared because I'm having dreams of what I'm gonna do before I get paid. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it happened to me. I think this is what I wanna do when I get paid. Even though I said, I don't wanna do this no more. And I would start with a drink. And once that drink happened, by three drinks, I'm in and I'm off and running to do what it is I wanna do. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a blush lady at the bar. So I, um, one night after solemnly swearing and giving, saying I'm never gonna do this again, I did. And it was like five in the morning. And where I'm in, I live up country, mommy, and it's very windy at night sometimes. So when you're tweaking and it's windy, it's just not a really good combination. (laughs) So I was tired of what I did. So I dragged the phone book and the phone, it had the long cords that day. And I dragged the phone into the closet so I could, I thought the crazy guy next door was looking out the window at me. So I said, if I go in the closet, I'll be fine. So I dragged the phone book. I dragged the the phone in there and I look up and I found a 1-800 cocaine hotline number. Don't ask me why. I was looking for that, but they said you could find anything in the elevator. So I called and I asked the lady, hey, look, I have a problem with drugs and alcohol and I wanna stop. And she said, 10% of your problem is drugs and alcohol. The other 90% is you. I was like, what? She said, 90% of the problem is you. And your coping skills. 10% is just the drugs and the alcohol. And for some reason, all that started to play into my head. Every time I use, every time I drank, every time, every time it started to go like click, 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 click. And I said, Can I can you help me? She says, Yeah, we have a place in Southern California. How soon can you leave? Leave. <laughs> but I already knew I tried the meeting, remember? Yeah. And um, I said, I don't have my money. And she said, we'll pay your way. If that's not my higher power. I don't know what it is, right? She said, we'll pay you away. So I said, okay, she paid my way. They said, we'll have your ticket at the airport. So I had to get up tell my parents, hey, uh, yeah, something's wrong with your girl. And they go, oh my God, is that what's wrong with you? Right? Oh my God. Oh yeah, go, you know. So they uh, helped me pack. Uh, they helped me pack and they eat. you know what? My parents are so loving, they gave me a leg. They gave me a lay at the airport. Goodbye, you know, and uh, whisk me off. Now remember, I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm on the plane. I think I'm gonna be dancing. I'm gonna have some wine. Have some wine. Sip, 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 sip. (laughs) Because I'm not gonna. I'm learning how not to do the other stuff. I'm still gonna have some wine. So I get to the airport in L.A. We land. I'm nervous as hell. Some guy, in an orderly, with a piece of paper that says Jennifer Molina. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh. He's like, that's me. Hello, and uh, I talk his ears off all the way to Buena Park, and they open the. We get that. I says, this is the place. He's like, this is the place. I'm like, oh. oh. And I used to have a saying, that I, I used to have a saying, and the saying was, I would sit at the top of Haleakala Crater on a rock when my life was just crap-shooted out, hung over, or drunk, I would sit on the rock and watch the sunrise, and I would say, today is the first day of the rest of your life. But I figured that if I sat there and watched the sun rise over the east horizon, that today would be the first day of the rest of my life, and everything I didn't want to do anymore would magically happen and disappear. Of course, that never happened. But this time I said, today is the first day of the rest of my life. I'm just gonna have to take that. I'm 3,000 miles away from home. I don't know nobody. I got one suitcase, my kids back home. Jennifer, you need to just walk in. And I walked in and they opened the doors and there was 30 of you guys sitting there and you were like, hi, welcome. What's your drug of choice? What are you like? And for the first time in my entire life, I felt like I fit in in a room full of strangers who were all here from all over the world in this facility and I felt like I was at home. Weirdest thing ever, didn't want to hug, didn't know what to expect, but I had this peace inside of me that it might be okay. And that's where recovery began for me. My sobriety birthday is November 25th, 1989. That makes me 31 years sober. I share that not because, you know, if you got five months, that's beautiful. Right. And then you got two years, you're like, <laughs> that's what I said too. Like somebody had two years as speaking. I was like, oh my God. do And I do it one day at a time. Right. So I left that treatment facility. They said, we can put you up. We can either send you back home or put you up in one month, you know, put you up in a sober living. I said, put me in sober living. They put me in sober living in Long Beach. I figured it was a beach. It was long. Let's go there. Right. <laughs> I had one suitcase and my parents were like, what? I said, yeah, pack it up. But it was there that they it had me at the treatment facility. They had me take a look at my relationship with alcohol. And I was like, God damn it. And they said, you can't have anything. No mind altering substances, nothing, nothing. No mind altering substances. I'm like, none. They go, what happened when you drank? I said, it was great. And then when did you want what you wanted? about the third drink? I was clear on that. I had practiced that well enough. Remember insanity, doing the same thing over and over again. I go, okay, this time I'm gonna have a drink and nothing else is gonna happen, right? Never happened, never happened. So I knew already, oh yeah, yeah, I can. So at that moment I felt really sad, really, really sad, right, cause I'm 28, I'm 28. i am Life's just beginning. So I'm driving by the big billboards. It's like a Corona with a lie. like Corona. Bye, Corona. Bye old friend. You know. But I wanted something different. I didn't like the results. I know how to live a life with alcohol. I know how to live a life with drugs. I don't know how to live a life with not. So I begin to build my two belt, and my two belt says, um, my two belt says, you know, powerlessness, acceptance. powerlessness, acceptance, right? Higher power, sponsor, telling on yourself, being of service right? Keep it simple, stupid. So do you ever wonder why they tell you those little things because they do it because we're a little slow and we don't remember big things. So they have to say stuff like, keep it simple, stupid. And you're like, oh, right? <laughs> stupid, but really I am. But no, right? <laughs> 24 hours, one day at a time, one moment at a time, right? And I'm like, ah, 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 until the urge hit, right? And I was like, oh, 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 okay. What? Watch the clock. Six, six, okay. Whew, okay, it passes, right? And then I realized that I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol in my life was unmanageable. For me, I could see my unmanageability, even though I had a job, a kid had his, you know, his PlayStation, all that stuff, I still had an unmanageable life. And um, so I get here and kind of like, almost like what Erica says, like you, know, you get into that relationship, right? Ooh, you know, he had... Uh, two months and I had 18, what a perfect match, right? And I will tell you this, that you can get into any relationship you want in recovery, but you best have a foundation, you best have a sponsor, you best have a home group, you best have some sober buddies that you hang out with because relationships will show you every ugly thing about yourself. Because at you, this point, you don't even know how to love yourself. I don't even know how to love myself. And I want you to love me because I can't love myself. Right, so what I can't do for myself, I expect you to. And I know you guys—that's hard, boy. That is so hard when the girl goes, "But you don't love me," right? And You guys are like, "What?" You know, you're to spend all your time with me, right? You know, I'm sorry, that's me. That was me, right? And um, so I got to here, and they said, you know, women stick with the women, men stick with the men, and. Uh, you know, you better get your friends, you better get a sponsor, get some steps in here. And that's how I did it, one day at a time, right? There were a lot of moments in this time of my sobriety that I may have found it necessary. There was some stuff that comes up where it hits the gut, where you're in the fetal position, where you make stupid decisions in recovery, sober state of mind. Oh, that wasn't very smart, right? You know, the get rich quick schemes, right? The, I'll do this, the power from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, that shit happens in recovery. Hell yeah, we wouldn't be human, right? My home group was called More Be Revealed. And I loved it because more is revealed each day that I stay sober. But I did those things. I got phone numbers when I didn't want to, right? I told my sponsor, the one person, I'm gonna just tell her everything, so that when I, you know, she was probably like, "Oh, that's a lot, Jen, that's a lot. But I wanted, you know, they said honesty, right? So here, you're it. Yeah, here, I'm going to be honest. You know, I stole pennies one day, right? But, uh, but that honesty, open-minded and willing is what keeps me coming back, even when I don't want to. And there's a lot of times in this time period that I've been sober that I didn't want to do nothing. But what happens when I don't want to do nothing is that, my emotional insights, you think new is hard, get some time because we have a thing called character defects jealousy, envy, uh, um, rage, anger, right? Manipulation. You say, Oh, oh, yeah. I'm gonna ask you to remove my shortcomings. Yay, oh, they're gone. Yeah, for like 10 minutes, and then some of them start creeping back in, right? It's just, we're human, right? We're human. I'm in a book study with my sponsor, and it talks about, uh, um, oh, what is it? It's about the rock. Drop the rock, and I thought it was about cocaine, but it's not. Oh <laughs> <laughs> was like, drop oh, the rock, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. hey. About- no, it's about, <laughs> It's about the rocks and the pebbles in my life that keep me stuck in a sober state of mind, they keep me stuck. And that my behavior for every action there is a reaction, right? So if I bite your, you know, if I step on your toes, you're going to retaliate on me because somewhere along the line, my defects of character and shortcomings, which by the way, are exactly the same. They just wanted to give you a variety on words. So when you're trying to figure out what is the difference between shortcomings and character defects, they're the same, it was a joke. (laughs) haha, right? I means the same thing, they just gave it two different words. So, um, but it took a long time and a lot of practice of dating. It took a long time, and a lot of practice of making good decisions. It took a long time and a lot of practice of, of um, being of service and um, healing that little girl within, right? But it's all been an amazing journey. It was, it allowed me to um, be with my mom, as she was getting sick and dying. And you know that guy that my mom married? That guy that my mom married? This is how selfish. He said something that hurt my feelings and I said, I'm gonna tell him now. Now I'm in double digits, I'm gonna tell him now. I said, you know what, you, you hurt my feelings. You, you, didn't, you didn't, I said, hey, I wanna come see you guys. And you said, yeah, well, we'd rather, I said, come to here for Thanksgiving. You said you'd rather go to And I was like, and um, he said to me, you know, Jenny, he goes, do you know that you never call and say hi? You always say, where's my mom? This man adopted me, gave me his name. He said, you never say, hi, what's going on in your life? You never say, ask me how I'm doing. You just say, hi, where's my mom? He goes, whenever something catastrophe or something big happens in LA, I have a map. Where your house is and where that catastrophe, that fire, that earthquake is in relationship to where you are. And I was convicted. I was like, oh, that's my selfishness. I carried that around since I was 12. That I missed a lot of time to just get to know this man who wanted to adopt, who adopted me. That's that like was huge for me. So I, up until the day he died, I just learned to say I love you and it was awkward and I just learned how to make a living amends for that spoiled child that it was. So currently now, I know my time is up, but <clears throat> I've had a, a grace of chairing this big convention that we have in another fellowship and it's every summer. And it was uh, a labor of love and, um, and I share that because that's where service work got me, right? And going to this women's conference, I got to just be a part of and be in. But that's where camaraderie and, and being of service and, and helping out, right? I get to uh, watch people like my sponsor, Erica. I saw her when she came in and I always laugh and I'll share with you, she looked like somebody rolled her in dirt, right? Like <laughs> she did. She doesn't believe me, but I was like, ooh, right? And then, <laughs> it was like, Like I was like, where are you sleeping at, you know, and, uh, but the the miracle of just being willing to pick somebody up and take them somewhere and take them somewhere and take them to meetings. And then one day she pops into the car and you could see a glow. And I had her look in the mirror and I said, look in the mirror, look in the mirror. I was shocked. I was like, oh, shoot, that's, that's a gift. That's a gift. So three years ago, uh, after doing a whole lot of work on self, I actually um, got married to somebody in this fellowship, which is something I said I would never ever do again. But the the difference is that uh, I had done a whole lot of work on this inside. So I don't have those same expectations. I have my own meetings. He has his, we have one together, right? He has his friends, I have mine. We do things together but I got my own life. and that is so 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 important and that's what I hit home to, to the women I sponsor you have to have your own identity we cannot put that on another person that's a lot that's a lot for us to put on somebody else so I got to marry my best friend and um, he was the one crying at the wedding not me I was like <laughs> <laughs> you know um, my son that's that I came in here with is, uh, I don't know, 38 or something like that, and now he's mad. So I get to walk through that. But when I share that and I listen to other people share and I come to meetings, people share about the solution, they share about what they're going through. So when you're sitting and you're like, I don't wanna hear this. Oh God, here she goes, talking about that. Here he goes, talking about that. And one day when it comes around to you, you're gonna be like, what was that guy saying now? What was that guy saying, right? And we learn how to walk through this thing. I've had an awesome opportunity to live two lifestyles in one lifetime. I don't regret the past. I have funny stories, right? I have horrible stories. I have shameful stories like swimming swimming in the uh, creek in the middle of the cane fields, drunk. But we did it because it was hot. But yeah, I was in like that reservoir. And as I kind of came to swimming, I thought, you know, aren't there pesticides in here? (laughs) It's so refreshing, right? (laughs) In the middle of a cane field by some guy that lived in a cave. I don't know. Anyways, long story. That's what happens when you drink at noon. But, um, but I can laugh at things like that, and I can cry at that, and I can continue to grow. I have 31 years of amazing recovery that I wouldn't trade my worst day for. My best day getting drunk and high doesn't compare to my worst day sober. Right? I don't regret the past. Um, drugs and alcohol uh, stole my dreams and recoveries allows my dreams to come true. Whatever they are, go back to school or whatever. So I encourage you, stay sober. Stay no matter what. It's easy to go back and drink and use. You know what that's like. Stay. Just stay. Thanks for letting me share